You're listening to SM Media, the number one place for exclusive content. Hi everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Scottish Football Show Extra right here on SM Media. I'm Scott McPay, delighted to be your host as always. I'm riding solo this week. I do not have my usual cohorts in Wilson and Shankers for this show, but I'm delighted to be joined by in the co-winning Ranger special. Delighted to be joined by, first of all, the manager, Chris Train. Chris, it's a pleasure to welcome you on. Thanks for joining us. Yes, Scott, thanks. Brilliant. And we're also joined by player new signing, Thomas Collins. Thomas, pleasure to welcome you on to the show. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. Brilliant. We should say as well, obviously Wilson loves doing this show. We do have a wee statement of why he's not on tonight, and this is for, particularly for Chris and to all his, all his fans on the channel. To whom it may concern, I am really sorry I can't make tonight's show, and to Chris, who I really wanted to talk to in the show. I have stood in training tonight in the hope of achieving my A licence to one day following my hero Barry Fleet in shoes by being his assistant. <laughs> What's your response to that, Chris? I should be so lucky. Aye, <laughs> uh, but Wilson and Barry, they'll go back a long way. They'll go back a long way, but uh, Wilson and Barry, I've got a lot of uh, banter on the old Twitter and stuff like that, so I um that they're far too sharp for me. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's gone to know Wilson and Shanker's on, but we're going to get straight into it. We're going to talk about the season so far. We'll obviously talk about it with both, both your careers, and then we'll ask you some quick-fire questions. We should say Wilson's prepared some Beltham. Quite a few questions for you, Strainer. So we're looking forward to that. Yes. Thomas, we'll start first of all with you. Obviously, you had a, you've had a kind of eventful career so far. You obviously spent a bit of time at B, went to East Fife, obviously spent a bit of time at BSC as well before going to Kowinning. What was it about Kowinning that made you kind of what, what was it about Kowinning that you kind of thought you could do well at? Uh, I think the decision on signing for any club at any point has got to be twofold. There's got to be a personal aspect and obviously then the aspect is why am I joining that team personally uh, after my experiences last season uh, at East Fife and Stenhouse Muir. I needed to get back playing and I needed to join an environment where I could trust the manager um, that if I felt that I was going to perform, that I would be given the opportunity to perform. Um, and the main reasons to actually join the Buffs, I guess, uh, I, I had a kind of um, friendly relationship with the gaffer, um, inherited from contacts that I networked that I had at Beef, um, and I was impressed with them. And I felt like it was a club that had ambition to, to climb the, the pyramid and the ladder that exists at the moment in time. Um, and when I went down saw the facilities, both on and off the park, I could see that the club not only had the ambition to go, but were kind of um, putting plans in place and, and, and infrastructure in place to, to really get there and, and put, put a, good, um, a good atmosphere and experience in place, both for fans and for players. So um, that, that, those were the main reasons that I felt that um, it was the right time for me to come and join to winning. Brilliant. Chris, what was it like, obviously, bringing in Lisa Thomas and Ross Smith? They were the kind of two big signings over the summer. How important were, were they to, to bring in and kind of build the experience to a, young, a kind of young and up-and-coming side? Aye, there's always a kind of natural, um, I suppose, evolution of a squad. And, and obviously, Thomas and, and Ross became available to me. Um, both of them have got different qualities. Both of them are good leadership qualities, and that's important. Uh, when I'm looking for players now, I look for 
football with the right types of players, people that are dedicated to their football, people that are looking after themselves away from the football park and stuff like that. And I felt that um, Thomas, having obviously worked his butt off to get an opportunity senior, probably didn't get that opportunity to show that off. And he's coming here hungry to prove people wrong. And that's important to me. You've got to have a hunger and a desire. And um, for me, um, if it's about Bill scores goals and, and, and he's at the right age. And my, my squad, as you rightly alluded to there, is, is probably the majority of them between 20 and 24. Um, so Ross, different qualities in that. He's probably 29. He's got good leadership qualities. Again, he, he can help people through... Um, different attributes. I mean, Ross is a good football player in his own right, but um, what I was looking for was that verbal communication in the back line and, and you know, getting that right and, and Ross fitted the bill for me. You obviously do your homework into players as well. You, you know, that's just standard for a manager to find out what type of guys you're getting and, um, as I say, both of them ticked the boxes for me in terms of what I was looking for. Brilliant. Thomas, has the level kind of changed since you, you kind of spent time at Bede? Like, what's been the kind of biggest differences for your time there? Uh, I would say there has been a slight transition in the level that we're playing in at the moment. I think there's more, there are more teams trying to get out there play a bit more football. Uh, I think even for winning, in my opinion, because of maybe the move to the new facility, I don't know what else maybe has influenced the, the gaffers' opinions in the games um, or approaches, but certainly I feel like there's more teams going out there with a positive attitude to the game and trying to influence them by moving the ball out in, in a better manner than would be traditionally associated with the juniors, albeit I think those stereotypes were, were maybe kind of um, based on kind of false narratives. But um, I think obviously there's going to be teams with much more ambition now because of the characters there to get, um, get up and own like, and then into the senior game. So um, I think overall, um, the level is much the same, but maybe that maybe there's been a change to approach from from various angles. See, obviously as well, Chris. See with the the transition, obviously for the the juniors into the kind of west of Scotland, it's obviously been at a time where there's been a lot of transition, particularly in the kind of personal situation with the COVID and things like that. What's the kind of biggest differences for two years ago when it was? The juniors and obviously it was there wasn't a pandemic and things like that. What's the biggest difference you found as a manager in that time? Um, I think it is probably that the, the driver off the field, what clubs are doing off the field. You can see they're investing in their supporters. You can see they're investing in their infrastructure. It's not just about the here and now, um, and and that's important. I think again, you look there's youth systems being created, pathways for clubs. All these things weren't in place probably two, three years ago, and, and they're good. I think participation's massively dropped off, Scott, in, in terms of football. When you get to, I see it probably more than most because we've had a pathway in place for a few years. But my son, my oldest son, 17, um, his team have been together since Fun Fours, and Fun Four, I mean, I coached them, what, 11, 12 years ago. So um, the majority of them have stayed with it, but that. The, the, the talent pool is is much harder to, you know, select players from. Amateur football as such has lost a lot of big names. You know, you've had Clark Drive go at the game, yeah. uh, Tiba. So the actual participation levels of adults playing football uh, has dropped off. And I think there's a lot to do with, um, I think I've spoken on one record that's speaking about this, but there's a lot to do with the pro youth system. Um, where boys have been told probably three and four times before they get to the age of 17 that they'll never make the grade. 
um, at the highest level and it can dent their ambition and think, what's the point? I'm going to go to university. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I think the first thing clubs need to get right, and, a, and a, as I say, clubs, I mean um, community-based clubs, um, clubs with a youth infrastructure, they need to get participation right for everybody. Um, not everybody's going to be, you know, a shooting star that makes it all the way to the first team. But you've got to put something in place that allows people to play recreational football for their health, um, for their mental health, for their physical health. And, and, and as far as I can see, um, there's no really a negative when kids are playing football into 17, 18 and then kick on into amateurs or um, whatever else, adult football. So I think that's a, a real difficult thing from my point of view is the, the, the talent pool or the, the numbers that are playing football are less, but there are some great initiatives in clubs that are probably trying to drive that back the other way. You just need to look at women's football and, and, and ladies' football to see the growth in the game, how they make it, you know... Uh, fun for the girls at an early age to get them into the game and then they're entrenched in the game and there's a mm. there's a pathway for them. That wasn't there probably 20 years ago when I was there. So we need to get back to that for the boys and make it enjoyable and um, know so much about filling jerseys to allow people to try and make the grade because not everybody's going to make the grade, like me yeah. and Thomas. <laughs> Definitely. But we'll move on a bit to talk about the, the season so far. We'll just say a bit about your... 13 games, second in the league, eight wins, four draws, one defeat. Chris, would you have taken that at the start of the season so far? You must be you must be pleased with how it started. Um, probably par, you would say, Scott. I'm probably no pleased with the points total that we've got given the, the way the games have panned it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you said to me we're sitting second, you know, and, and be right in the max, then I don't think you can get too greedy and too um, lofty. But from, from where I'm at, we've dropped some silly points and we should probably have a better points total than we were at just now. Thomas, how have you kind of settled in as well to, to the team and what's been the kind of big improvements you've seen? Uh, settled in really well. I mean, it's a welcoming group. Um, years gone by, when I was uh, slightly younger, I've done maybe struggled with that and maybe taken a bit more time, but I've done it a couple of times now. Um, so I feel like I'm able to get into a group and... Um, kind of condition well into it and have an impact on it as early as possible, a, a positive impact if I can. Um, how do I see how, how, we've, how we've done so far? I mean, I've got to echo what the gaffer says. I think, obviously, we started really well. We've dropped some silly points. And it's especially um, difficult to deal with and frustrating that we've dropped points from winning positions and uh, but multiple goals ahead winning positions. So um, I probably take the points total if you'd offered it at the start um, but certainly from the positions we've been in it's slightly frustrating and a, and a point that we probably want to look at and improve for, for the rest of the season which is obviously a lot of games to go still Yeah definitely Chris obviously you've won the first four games 21 goals in your first five before that draw against Lanarton that must have been really good as well obviously you were, you were scoring you were winning games but more importantly you were, were getting goals you were scoring I mean Jordan Stewart had a great start to the season I think Thomas got a few as well it must have been really pleasing at the start to see the the, win, the way you were winning games with scoring goals and getting the big wins like that I think uh, the the ideas that we tried to put across in pre-season came to the fore very very quickly um, and, and the boys as you say bonded well and there was a good balance and a good chemistry about it as the midweek games progressed, it becomes more and more difficult to um, change your game plan based on who you're playing and, and change your 
personnel sometimes. You're, you're looking to continue momentum, but you're bringing guys in because you can't flog you know, the same guys time and time again. So there's a, a lack of continuity. And something that was apparent for me is that um, preparation on games became um, probably more about recovery than it did about preparing again for the team that you were playing. And you could see the boys' levels drop off, their sharpness. Um, it became a bit of a war of attrition for them to get themselves fit and ready for games. So I couldn't probably wait to the end of um, the pre-season, uh, the, the midweek games. And I think I think every manager will be in that boat when they say that. But from my point of view, the preparation has changed again. We're able to get a bit of strength in the legs, a bit of running power back into the game, um, a bit of preparation in terms of tactical preparation as well as the kind of technical stuff as well. So uh, we started the season well, and I put that down to how we were um, prepared and getting our ideas across to the boys. That probably stopped a wee bit and it was a wee bit right come on just keep going doing what we're doing doing what we're doing and probably no so much game to game preparation so pleased to get that back and, and obviously um, we get a good win on Saturday which allows us to kind of reset and gather momentum again yeah definitely Thomas what was it like obviously uh, Chris was sitting there about the Saturday Wednesday Saturday Wednesday for a few weeks was it hard after a long time off to get back into that routine of, of games constantly um, I feel like we had a long enough pre-season to deal with that um, and I felt like I mean obviously I've had experience in the juniors before where at the end of the season it's Monday, Wednesday, Saturday and um, I've always found that a positive experience because if you start winning and you can and you get in the right momentum and you, you start picking up wins it's, it tends to carry on in that vein and um, actually this was the first experience I had where it slightly got disrupted um, and it was the Saturday games where we were, we were dropping a couple of points but um, exactly what the gaffer said. I'm actually I've been excited about getting back to training. Uh, certainly, I feel as a player. Um, me personally, I really benefit from training. Um, certain aspects of my game probably um, slightly deteriorate when I'm not training. Um, not fitness wise, but more technically wise, I feel like I, um, not being in the habit of uh, short, sharp games. Different aspects of training that I enjoy. So I've been excited, enthusiastic about getting back to training and preparing for Saturdays and hopefully being sharper and, and more ready to take on those competitive fixtures. Dynamic, Scottish City, um, Thomas was saying there, in terms of games at the beginning of the season and games at the end of the season, um, you're probably more battle-ready come the end of the season yeah. when you're going through a, a physical prep over the course of the season and your body's used to taking the bumps and the bruises and the knocks. Um, from my experience, we're probably trying to protect the players um, by, you know, making sure that they get substituted at the right times and enough time. Sometimes you can do that too much. Sometimes you need too much into that. Sometimes it's just a case of going, battle your way through it and see how you go on. But if you do that at the start of the season, you're on the risk of losing people for a long, long time over the course of the season, where at the end of the season, you're maybe doing that, flogging the dead horse, and they maybe miss one game at the end of the season, you know, well... I'll deal with the emergency at the end of that. So it, there's a different dynamic to the, the, the midweek games at the start of the season, certainly from a manager's perspective rather than the players. See as well, obviously, with the last year, we know obviously there was no fans in as well. It was obviously a different different environment than you'll probably ever have experienced. Was welcoming the fans in, Chris, a massive kind of... Did they give everyone a massive boost? Or like, we're back to normal and that's... We're now at a kind of stage where hopefully there's a bit of normality coming. Absolutely. I think it's well documented. I don't think you'll speak to anybody that says the game is better without the fans. No. 
Um, the atmosphere, pace of the game, you know, how they can drive a game, how they can change the dynamics of the game. You probably only need to look at the Auchinleck Cumnock game in, in, in Saturday where Auchinleck get a goal back and they've got their crowd behind them and the momentum's there and, and all of a sudden Cumnock find it difficult whereas they've dominated the game. I don't think you get those swings in momentum without the fans. I think the game's going to pan out and, and go to a shape and a, a, a certain tempo. So, um, I miss the fans. I'm somebody that kind of thrives off the stick that you get as well. So um, you like a bit of banter and whatnot that happens. And, and certainly when somebody's giving you a wee bit, you, you, it's in your mind you want to prove them wrong and whatever else. So I, it's, listen, it, it, there's nobody in it. I've listened to I'm an avid follower of sports. I don't think there's any sport that's benefited from not having spectators, tennis, golf, cricket, whatever is on the television, you watch it and there seems to be a lack of Probably adrenaline for the players. That really is the thing that's been missing, and, uh, and it's been apparent to me, you know, how much we've missed them, especially in the type of football we play as well. It's, it's close confines, you know. You hear things, you you feed off the crowd a wee bit more probably than you do um, at a higher level. So, I it, it's good to have them back, and certainly, I think the the games have been of a better quality as, as far as I can see. Maybe that's in my head, but um, it certainly feels that way. Thomas, would you kind of go along with that, that the fans have made it a lot better than it that was maybe even last season? In it? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm personally the same as the gaffer. I thrive off that. I had some great banter over the far side that they were the stand side that made the park on Saturday. Uh, and the, the fans have missed that as well. Uh, they enjoy that, having that with players. I enjoy that. It drives me on. And in fact, those swings that the gaffer talked about in the Cumnock Hockey League game, not only is it because people thriving off the crowd, it's sometimes because the crowd kind of impacts people in a negative way. So you're missing both of that, both of those kind of effects on games when they're not there. So uh, I think I think everyone in football is really glad, glad to have them back, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Can I see that result against Arvo where you beat them 1-0? Was that a big boost for the, the team? And obviously the kind of league, obviously you said there, about the, that was a massive atmosphere as well. Was that one of the kind of results you, you look back on so far has been one of the best? Um, I tend not to look at the teams that we're playing and think oh, that's a big three points or that. Yeah. it's more from a player's perspective uh, we've dropped points against as I say Glen Cairn um, Glen Afton I think the other games that we've drawn Rossville, Rossville. Um, and, and get beat off Cumnock if they get beat off Darvill in one of the games <laughs> we've been in a better position than we are now so I know Michael well and I know obviously that there's a bit of a hype Surrounding Darvill, trying to obviously they've got lofty ambitions and whatnot, but we have too. And you know, there's big teams in here. I don't think for a second Michael thought that Darvill were going to come in and blow the league away and run away with it. He's not as naive to think that. Yeah. But um, I know for a fact at this moment in time, he'll be you know striving to solve the issues that they've got because they're a good side. And when you beat a good team, it can do certain things for you. It certainly didn't do anything for us because we went out the next Saturday and we didn't win again. So um, the reality is, it can give players confidence that they, you know, they're playing against good players and they know that they can stand up to a test. But we've got good records in big games over the years, and, and my players are quite comfortable in that big game environment. It's the, the the bread and butter, the week in week out that we need to strive. That we say, you know, the attitude has to be the same. You have to have the same adrenaline. You have to go in the same manner. You have to get your preparation properly and do it right. I'm quite relaxed when it comes to the big games. I know my players will be up for that. I don't need to go in with their brave heart speeches and the motivation. They'll, they'll, they'll do what they, 
they, they do on the game and, and, and I'm quite confident that they'll produce you know, a good level of performance in their big games. No so much when there's lack of atmosphere and everything else. I think that's when um, probably you need to play your part as a manager a wee bit more and whether that's the big stick or whether it's the carrot, um, it depends on depends on the day and depends on the performances. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Thomas, where's some of the kind of best best experiences you've had so far since been back in the league? Since being back with Cowan and the best experiences, I mean, obviously on that evening, the, the victory against Arvo, it's a big game, you're playing against a team that's going to be quoted as one of the other teams that have got the same ambitions as us, so obviously that, that was a highlight. Um, scoring my first goal against... Um, my first goal and the first goal of the season against Troon um, got us off to a good start. That was a highlight. Scored a double at Bonneton, personally. Um, I worked out there and scored goals, so I, I take extra pleasure when I managed to do that. But um, I've had plenty of good results, and um, especially at the Meda on Saturday, being a derby match, after having had a little tricky spell and a defeat at Cumnock, and with a, um, a difficult challenge and few games coming ahead, I took real pleasure in, in getting back to winning ways um, and getting the three points away at our rivals on, on Saturday. Brilliant. Chris, the result against Rutherglen, obviously, is were 4-1 up and then it finished 4-4. What was your, what was your thoughts when that was happening? Karma. That's what I said. Karma. season before the, the pandemic, we went up there and we were 4-1 down and we won 5-4. Um... So when the game was going on, I could see the momentum shift in the game. But I've spoke to the players. Uh, players laugh at me for some of the stupid things I say to them and how I quote them and stuff. But I spoke to them about the importance of after half time. There was a stat that came out in the European Championships, and there was a certain percentage of goals we scored in the first 15 minutes straight after half time. And again, any time I seem to mention it, we seem to concede a goal, but. That was a game where I thought, you know, we've done the hard work in the first half. We played actually really well. Got ourselves into a commanding position. And you're always going to get a reaction from a team when you've dominated the game so much so. And we can see the goal in the first two minutes of the game. You can see the momentum shift in the game. And we couldn't do much about it. Um, we had changed the team. We had made our substitutions through a couple of injuries and stuff like that. And just on the game itself... It got to 4-3 and I think there was 15 minutes left. And I'm thinking to myself, I need to do something here to try and change the momentum or the shift in the game. There was nothing I could do. And, and the right was on the wall for us in terms of conceding the goal. We were disappointed. We, you think to yourself, you know, we can see it out and whatever else. But we just didn't play well enough in the second half. And um, it came on the back of probably happening the, the week before against Glenarfin. We were 3-1 up. Um, and conceded a couple of goals and they get probably an unjust draw on that day but um, you just have to dust yourself down look for reasons if it, if it becomes something that happens time and time again then perhaps there's something you need to look at so I think we've addressed that and I think Saturday showed that we conceded the goal straight after half time again having spoke about dominating the first half and doing well and making sure you don't give every medal a foothold in the game conceded a goal and, and we saw it out quite well in the second half we, we, we showed that we've got you know, the mental fortitude to go and see that out. So, aye, um, just one of the things you just have to put it down to um, experience and move on and hope we don't do something so silly again. Yeah, definitely. Thomas, what was your kind of reaction to that? Can I be black? Obviously, the, the three-old draw we gone after in the 4 each draw against Rutherland, was it hard to kind of pick yourselves up as players for that point? 
Uh, I guess the first time it happens, I mean, both both accounts are, are very frustrating and like immediately afterwards. Um, and you're looking around for reasons. The Glenarvan one, you can kind of put down a fluke. Um, once it becomes a second time, you're kind of starting to think, God, is this going to become a habit? Um, but I think we diagnosed it after the game. I mean, when I reflected on it on the Saturday evening, um, personally, I, I, I knew kind of what, what had happened in my performance. And I could see it in other people's. Uh, we, had, we had data that kind of confirmed that. And the gaffer showed us that. So um, in-house, we managed to diagnose that. And um, as you said, I mean, we all hope it doesn't show its face again. What was the, obviously, you had a good result against Bees, and then it was the, the 0-0 draw against Largs, which was, I think, you two men sent off that game, that right? Yeah. What was, and then obviously you're beating Advin Medal. How was important was it to get that kind of win on Saturday and get back to winning ways after that? Losing, losing two players as well, was it a big result to go there? It was Thomas says a rival. Was that a big, was that a big result for you, Chris, to get that one? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I read a lot about uh, like the local paper and stuff like that. It's kind of the the gen is that the med have been doing well and the buffs are in a great run and everything else. And I'm looking at the league table thinking to myself, you know what, you're fine, we're all right. We had a good result on Saturday against Largs. Largs was a wee turning point for us. We had, you can feel sorry for yourself when things aren't going great. And, you know, getting a man sent off in 13 minutes and Carlo, you're down to 10 men. You, you survive that wee rocky period, then you lose another man, you're going, wow, this is, you know, we, we don't want to go back to back defeats. And the boys really dug at a performance that day, just through sheer work rate and determination. That's that's all it was. It wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't pretty on the eye, we only keeping the bot nine men, it was defender goal and, and make sure everybody is back to the ball and we, and we do the job. And I think that gave the boys a bit of momentum. We, we have the training session, we prepare well, we give everyone medal respect that they're due because, they, as I say, they were on a good run. Um, but again, you, you read the aftermath of the game and some of the things that I'm reading and hearing, I'm just, I, I can't believe because it, we absolutely dominated the game and we went out a game plan to go and stop them playing at their place. You, a pitch, and, and Meadows usually had a good pitch, the pitch was terrible. It wasn't, just, it wasn't conducive to playing good football. We got our, we got our tactics spot on in terms of the game isn't going to be free-flowing and nice and pretty on the eye, it's going to be stuck in, be as direct as you possibly can in terms of playing against your your, your opposite number and make sure that we dominate the game physically and if there was football played in the game, it was played by us because we really pressed them very, very well and, and, and forced them to probably sway off the, the game plan that, or the way that they had been playing. So. For us, it just shows you that you know we've got different strings to our bow in terms of winning games. We can go out there. I think we're the top scorers in the league. You can correct me if I'm wrong in that. I haven't looked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The league, but I know we were um, scoring a lot of goals. So for us to be, for people to say we didn't play, you know, aesthetically pleasing football, we've played with football, we've played better in certain games and no one. Um, so Saturday was about getting three points against your rivals, where you needed to pick up three points, and there was pressure on us to do so. And I was delighted with the. The manner of the victory, it was convincing. I know there's, again, guys that the penalty was soft. I've seen the penalty back. It's a penalty. I've seen it back in replays and anybody that says it's not a penalty, the guy makes a challenge. He doesn't win the ball, he trips up, whether it's clumsy or whether it's, there's no, a lot of contact, there's enough there to not gav down. It's a six foot three player versus a five foot seven player. 
Um, he's not won the ball, he's trapped him up, it's a penalty and we've won 3-1 and sometimes it's just good to walk away for a game and say well done to the other team because certainly if it was me that was on the other end of that, I'd have just said well done, three points, he's with a better team and walked away but um, some of the stuff I'm hearing and reading, I'm just baffles me, baffles me. See, obviously the game mm-hmm. I watched was against Bonnet and he's won that comfortably, but the, the, thing that, the thing that I took away from that was just, well, once he scored, it was all about getting the ball on the deck and playing it Playing short passes, getting the just the the wing back. I think was, you were playing wing backs at the time as well. Was that is that important just to always kind of get the ball on the ground and play football for you, Chris? I listen. I've been in this grade of football for trying to think now 21, 22 years, on and off. Um, you you don't have the right to just turn up and play any given way you want yeah. to play. There's other dynamics to the game. How the other team play. Um, as I spoke about the environment, the weather conditions, whatever else, I would all love to get the ball and knock it about with Barcelona. But there's certain times where you need to dig in, graft, play, do the ugly side of the game. And to have more than one string to your bow is important. Um, and I think you look at you look at the teams that have been successful over a period of time. Um, they, they can play football, they can all play, they've all got a good you know, technical ability, but the thing that stands out with them is their, their mental fortitude when they need to win games, they find a way of doing so, and, and that's important. And, and again, I'm not being disparaging, but the, the, the teams that have been the top teams over the last probably 10 years, Beath, with Thomas's B team, you've got Auchinleck, um, probably even going back a wee bit further than my Irvin Meadow team, they won games by digging out times, and that's important. You know, I the football can come get up as you say. When Bonnet and for us, you know, when we're up three 0 and the, the the party trick sometimes happen. It's no great if you're on the other side of that. I appreciate that, but the the confidence surges through you, and you can try things maybe that you wouldn't try at nil nil in a game and whatever else. And these things tend to come off when you're flying. But um, I um, I'm I'm more than happy with how we can play on a as I say, our preferred style of play, but I'm more than happy that we can change that given uh, the, the the times that we need to. Brilliant. Thomas, what, how important was that one on Saturday to get back to second place and get a bit of confidence installed? Uh, I didn't attach much kind of importance to getting back to second place. Uh, what I did attach importance to was getting back to winning ways. And it was important that we managed to pick up the three points. But more importantly... To build confidence, I think. Point, points and winning builds confidence, but so the performances. And although it wasn't our most stellar, free flowing performance and uh, our attacking phases of play, it was a strong, robust performance. We were well drilled, well organised, we maintained our shape and we really gave ourselves a platform to go and score goals and then see out a game. And I think that builds confidence as well. And that, that was the importance attached to that game. Going centre again, great. Uh, climb a league position and we're one closer to the position that we want to be at the end of the season, but um, that won't be defined one third of the way through the season. So it was more the performance that, that gave me and the, the rest of the boys in the team confidence. Brilliant. So, uh, Chris, what's, what's your thoughts in the, the next few games that are coming up? Obviously, two massive away trips to Clyde, Clydebank and Paul, and then the gate, it's Ben Bob away and then Talbot at home. How big is that run of games coming up for you? I, uh, I think the, the way the league's kind of planned out, the, the team's sitting at the top of the league, I think we've even got Hurlford in amongst that as well. Um, 
teams at the top half of the league have kind of avoided each other. I don't think that there's been one or two, as I say, in Darvo, maybe Albert and Clyde Bank, Fox, Darvo, there's, there's, uh, the main protagonists, as you would maybe say, have they kind of crossed swords that frequently. I think over the course of the next month, um, they will do, and, and you'll see wins, draws, losses. It, it's it's not about that at this moment in time. It's not about the importance of where it all, as Thomas says, where you'll end up at the end of the season. What it's important to do is, is continue to put good performances on the board. And if you do that, you'll pick up more points and you'll drop. Um, Hawking Lake, if, if I speak about them at this moment in time, managing to grind out some results whilst not playing brilliantly. And Hawking Lake will hit a gear at some point. You've got to remember they haven't played football for 18 months. Um, the, the worry for us all is that they don't drop points in any hat of gear. Um, but I still think that there's enough quality in the league that can go and, you know, cause them problems and give them a challenge. If you look at Clyde Bank, I think that's their first defeat in 18 months on Saturday against Pollock. Um, they've shown, Moff and his team there and the boys have shown that, you know, they're, they're a good group and they're together. So they'll cause problems for teams. And then, obviously, there's ourselves, Pollock, Darvo, Hurlford, um, that are obviously trying to um, get as many results as we can and, and, and see if we can close the gap to, to Auckland Lake. But from my perspective, the, the games, as I said to you before, there's no, there's no difference in the three points. And you might think that's cliched, but it's just about getting points on the board, no matter how you do it, no matter how um, or who you're playing against. Like we could go and beat Auckland Lake and get beat off Denver. And for all intent and purposes, on paper, that would seem like an easier game. But certainly not in my eyes. The, the results that the league's thrown up already has shown that we aren't good enough to take anybody for granted. So, um, aye, there's difficult games throughout. And one of the dynamics that probably hasn't kicked in as yet is that there's teams will fall into those relegation places. And obviously, there's seven teams get relegated then becomes a matter of life and death when you play those teams and, and there's guys scrapping for points and whatever else and that's still to really kick in because you've got a lot of teams kind of floating about the middle and they can get themselves out of trouble but they'll become games where they become must-win games for the teams at the bottom of the league and you'll see some strange results at that point in time because teams can maybe be on a bad result and they'll, they'll need the three points and they'll produce a result for nowhere that maybe changes the course of their season so I uh, there's a lot of twists and turns to come it's just important to kind of pick up as many points as you can before the turn of the year. Yeah, definitely. We'll touch a wee bit on your career, Thomas, before we move into some quick-fire questions. You obviously spent like, four years at Bede where you won the Junior Cup. Was, was that kind of one of your, your best memories of your career so far? Uh, that's certainly the club where I spent the most time and I've obviously had the most success. Um, obviously, when you come to a club that's now the rival, uh, it makes that difficult to kind of attach so much kind of significance to that period of career. But obviously, nobody's been fooled. I had a great spell in my career at Beath, uh, winning those trophies. I mean, I went into Beath as an 18-year-old. My first couple of seasons, um, I mean, you'd probably describe them as a bit apart from the outside. It felt like I was playing more of a part in that when I was there. Um, but I learned from some real experienced coaches and managers. Uh, I, Learned from experienced players like Mark McLaughlin, Kevin McDonald, John Sheridan. I mean, I could go round a full team here and name a lot of experienced players. And that's what Beath was at that point in time. It was an experienced squad. And for me as a young player to be exposed to that was obviously 
Um, I've listened. I, I, I don't take that for granted one bit. That was a great experience. And I think um, I've inherited a lot of my um, beliefs on football and my, my attitude towards football, my work rate commitment from those players and from the club. So that that obviously was a, a real good experience that, that I was able to have early in my career. And it, it set me up well and influenced me. Um, hopefully, I feel in a positive manner to, to take that elsewhere and um, and in my career as I, as I go on. You stepped up to senior level as well. You went to East Fife. What was your kind of memories for that spell? Were you kind of disappointed at how that ended? Uh, uh, not necessarily disappointed with how it ended. I was dis- just disappointed in how it went. I think... Uh, I obviously signed there, I signed a pre-contract there in the February and football stopped in March. Um, it was a long time between March and August as to when football resumed. Um, and I think that with a shortened season and a lot of other factors, um, it meant that my game time was limited and, and I'm talking about external factors there, but internally, probably, you know what, comparatively to, to those other players at that club, um, I probably wasn't as good, but... I felt there was points at my time, um, my first couple of months there between October when games started and Christmas when I went on loan, that there was opportunities that I could have had to play um, when there was injuries and suspensions that I wasn't given. And and that was the point where I went on loan and had a kind of indifferent spell at Stenhouse Muir as well. So um, I look back and I'm, I'm grateful that the club were willing to take me on and had the faith to take me on at that point. Um, and I look back with a wee bit of disappointment and how it went, um, but not necessarily how it ended. I had another year there. Um, I could have stayed if, if, I, if I'd really wanted to, but I knew how, how things were going to be. And I was really desperate to get back to an environment where the demands were winning every week. It was slightly different at East Fife. Um, they're not expected to go and win League One. And that was something that I found challenging. All the clubs that I'd been at before, BSC, it was a bit going and winning a league. And um, I attached a lot of significance to that and importance. And that was really why I was looking to kind of end my spell there and begin it somewhere else. Yeah. Just a wee friend of the show as well, Darren Young, obviously was a manager at East Fife. What was your kind of memories of him? How did you find him? Uh, he speaks very highly of you, by the way. Of me? That's, uh, that's good to hear. Uh, I was really grateful to both Darren and Tony for taking me on. Um, showed a lot of faith in a player from two leagues below. Um, which was which was a big leap of faith for them, um, and I thought that uh, Darren and Tony always prepared their teams very well. Thought they were well drilled, well organised, um, put a lot of work into the organisation of their teams, and really enjoyed their trainings uh, and the facilities that they put on for the boys. Um, obviously, Darren knows that uh, that I wanted to have more of an influence on the team on the park. And uh, there were no surprises in me saying that I was disappointed that I wasn't selected more, but um, certainly I've got um, certainly got good working relationship with Adam, so I did enjoy working with him. Brilliant. Craig, are you ready for these quick fire questions sent in for Mr. Wilson? Don't know if I'm, but let's go for it anyway. Right. First and foremost, this is the first question. Who's the better football mind, Mark Wilson or Barry Fleeton? Oh, nice. <laughs> Has the move to KSC improved the infrastructure at the club? Yes, absolutely. It's been a, it's been the best thing that happened to the club in terms of growth and, and their ambitions. Like so, yeah, a great move. How did that come about? Was that always the plan to, to move back to KSC? 
No, um, I think the chairman takes a lot of credit for his vision. Um, we, he thought, you know, when licensing and whatever else was coming into to, to the fore, it would be practically impossible to do it at Abbey Park. The change rooms were poor, change facilities um, pretty poor. Although it was an old ground and had a good atmosphere about it when you played on it and when you were there, um, the facilities were shocking. Um, so uh, there's a state-of-the-art facility there and on your doorstep. Um, he went and made that happen and there was a lot of Dubai and scepticism about it over the course of the the move and it really impacted the team, really impacted. We lost a, we lost a few players over the head of it, you know, um, guys that had been there for a few years thought the club maybe was going through a transition period. So anyway, long story short, we moved and, and we move on and I don't think anybody that comes to watch us now, um, now that it's, it's one of the ones, it's a field of dreams, if you build it, they'll come and, and the chairman had that vision and it's happened through him and, and, and Colin Evans that they've been, you know, built a, a great stadium there and it can only get better it can you know there's loads of things that we can add on to it because we'll get the space and the facilities to do so so been a great move for us and, and a great move for the, for the community Brilliant Kelly at air Oh I'm going to say air because Kelly's freedom at 90% of my family so there you go I'm going <laughs> to be, get pelters for that by the way Gerard or Postacoglu Oh Bolson knows. Bolson knows. I'm no I'm no hang myself with to drive that, but um big Ange is a man. <laughs> is there ambitions to move up the ladder in Scottish football? Yes, absolutely. We want to get to as high as we can get to. Um got the infrastructure. Um we probably don't have the finances at this moment in time, but that's coming on the back of it. There's a business plan there to get us where we need to go to. Um and uh I think the, the the club and the people around about the club can take us to, to um, league football. That's that's the ambition, and that's what we hope to do within the next five, ten years. Brilliant. Even after beating Darvel, how difficult is it to compete with clubs with a higher budget than yourself? I don't think I like that question. He's put it by the way. You know something? There's a lot of importance putting budgets, and it, it gets in your nerves. To be honest, you've got what you've got. Um, I read a book called Socconomics, and they talk about. Um, how uh, wages influence direct outcomes, and that's why you see, you know, the, the teams in the English Premiership that are vying for, uh, they're able to pay the top wages. And, and yeah, it's difficult for you as a manager to compete, um, especially when it's it's about players. When managers can put out a game plan and whatever else. If the players don't carry it out, then it doesn't it doesn't matter what you're doing. A, a, a Tuesday, Thursday, Monday, Wednesday, whatever you're training. So. It's about getting good players and ultimately the good players go where they can get properly remunerated. So you just need to deal with what you've got. Um, and, and at the end of the day, um, I, I don't place a great deal of importance on budget. If I did, certainly wouldn't be where I am now. Best player you've played with? Oh, that's a nightmare question. Come back to that, right? He's through me in that bit. <laughs> Who's the worst? Oh, <laughs> the worst. I tell you what, you don't want to offend them, didn't you? know, I'm sitting in the fence here, but who's Kev McDonald? Oh, I was going to say, you need to go for somebody. Kev's the man. He, he, a centre half, couldn't he hit it, couldn't he tackle, 
Kamatha Park clean. Honestly, how he's managed to get the accolades and the awards that he's picked up, <laughs> and it, but I'll never know. He's he's the the and the anomaly, complete and utter anomaly. He's hopeless. Three players from other West of Scotland teams who you would sign. Graham Wilson, still think Graham Wilson's probably the best target man striker in the league. Um, but I think different positions because always strikers catch the eye and whatnot. Um, middle of the park. I'm, I'm going to a glossary in my head just now. People that have stood out. Um, Ian McShane probably, Darvo. Like Ian, good fit with players. You know, just kind of mark cup of tea. Aye. Um, what else have I got? Do you know something? Uh, these questions are difficult, aren't they? Wilson's really threw them in. He's the threw, <laughs> threw me under a bus with that, actually. Just to give me some... Just to give me some... Um, Centre-back. I'm trying to think. Well, he's put somebody to catch my... Um, I like the boy Stuart McCann at uh, Pollock as well. I think Stuart's a young player. He's good. He scores goals and very active. Hard work rate. So, hi, good player. Brilliant. Does David Syme run the David Syme fan club? David Syme has got a fan club. Um, there's a few people in the fan club. He is the president and the chairman of the fan club. But um, I, David's, David's a good lad. Best player you've ever coached? Um, probably Ross Stewart. Um, I think because and, and there's a reason for that. No, Ross wasn't the player that he is now when he obviously played with us, but Ross had a an understanding and a goal of where he wanted to be and, and his ears and eyes were open. He was just a dream to coach, you know, from a, a manager's perspective. He wanted to learn, he wanted to get better and, and he did you seen rapid progression because because of that and that is something that just kind of gives you a spot. I, I like dealing with young players. I always have done. I like bringing people on. I like bringing different aspects to their game. I like improving players. That's, I think, something you thrive on as a manager. Um, and when you can see people taking on board what you're working with them on, then it, it fills you with a wee bit of satisfaction. Brilliant. Best friend in football? I'm getting eight pals. <laughs> Man, my message doesn't even leave me. <laughs> Um, uh, no, probably, you know, I speak to Stephen Swift probably the most in football. Um, me and Stephen played together, but it, we went into management at the same time, share a lot of ideologies and different things. But um, I we, we speak a lot about football. But I've got, you know, I've got a group chat with all the boys that I've played with and different boys that I've played with over the years, and, and I'm, I'm still good pals with a lot of them. We have a good laugh and a right good laugh, but. Probably my number one pal is Fielsy, you know, um, he's, my, he's my assistant manager, but um, he's somebody who brightens up my day and my life, so my Fielsy's probably my best pal in football. Brilliant, right, back to this final question, best player you played with? I'm going to, say, I'm going to end up saying something that's untrue. Do you know something? It's probably not the best player I played with, but I'm going to say probably the best. Uh, thinking back to 
had a lot of good teammates at Urban Meadow and stuff like that. Um, really, really good teammates that we won a lot of good accolades. But I'm going to go back further. Something that um, Thomas spoke about when I broke into the co-winning team, there was a lot of leaders in the team and a lot of good men. But Tam Sloan was a, a brilliant, brilliant teammate. I mean, Tam used to go into 50-50s or 60-40s against and he'd do people, leave them lying in a heap and then he'd be picking them up and giving them a tap. And he just had a brilliant attitude to, to football and I wish I could attain a wee bit more of that one because he wasn't one for drama. You can see it still in him when he, he, he talks. He's no somebody who uh, likes the, the kind of the banter or whatever else. We, she's what you get with time and I wish I had a wee bit of that in me. But um, I, Alan McTurk that played in that team, Tucker was a, a superb technician, left foot, right foot. And um, he, he's somebody that I could probably have, have said back in that, you know, some I covered probably two spans of two generations of football. Yeah, the juniors. I was very, very young coming in at the back end. I just as I say, that co-winning team, and then we ended up with that medal team. And, and there's boys now playing the grade like Carlos, a fantastic, fantastic player. You know, that plays with us just now in terms of his technical ability and whatever else. And and I would say when you ask me, he came into my head as somebody you coach. I played. I probably played a few games with Carlos, and his technical ability is fantastic. So. There's too many good players to mention, but um, Tom Tucker stuck out as probably um, the, the, the one that you would have liked to have been a wee bit more like. Brilliant. I'm sure no going off with this either. We've got a few teammate questions. Are you good with these? Aye. Right. You can agree with You can pipe up as well, Chris, and say if you agree or disagree, all right? Just so we've got a, a manager's perspective on these. Best trainer. That's a tough one. Um, I would say in terms of attitude application, the best trainer at the club can be uh, Ali McComb. In terms of attitude and application and working hard. Chris, would you go along with that? Hi, Thomas. Don't even know what I name myself. Thomas is a good trainer. He trains hard. He's, he's a good trainer. He's in the net. He's a good trainer. Worst trainer? David Stein. Quality's great, but Body language. That's what I'm going for. Did you go along with that, Chris? It depends what time he turns up. If he's if everything's going well in the world for him, then he's he's a joy to behold. If he's had a bad day at work or whatever else, you should get off. Boss Most skillful. Uh, I mean, in terms of the best quality, Carlo obviously stands out. Skillful, uh, also, we uh, Gavin Miller, I would say. If, I mean, if you're talking about skill, he can take it. Uh, when he's in the mood, he can take end out of the game. Uh, not even with skill, but just with ability. But Carlo's probably the best technical ability in, in the squad at the moment. Team Joker. Um, who's the best Joker? The gaffer actually, the gaffer tries to play a role as the Joker, and last night he had a good one where uh, David Sign turned up wearing a basket, a full basketball kit. I don't know, I don't pay much attention to basketball, so I have no idea what the team was. Simon went away for some treatment, and the kit was honking. So by the time Simon came, uh, came back in for his treatment, the gaffer had a ball, had the full kit on, and a <laughs> ball with a basketball shoot for Simon came in. So. Let's see that the gaffer, the gaffer gives a good ball trying to be the joker of the team as well. Brilliant. Best player played with? 
Uh, I was thinking about this so that I didn't take as long as the gaffer did. So uh, the best player I played with, I've got I've got three that I want to name for different phases. Youth football, I played with like Lauren Shankland. He was a year older than me at Queen's Park, mm-hmm. both the same position, and he had a bigger influence on me than he probably knows. So him, David Anderson, uh, played with him at Queen's Park and Colburnie. Now that's the best player I've played with. Absolute caviar. Uh, talk about players that I think would have a massive influence coming into our team at the moment. We could take David Anderson for 10 years ago. Uh, I think that takes us to a, a full new level. And then I would pick one for be, which would be Dan Christie. Um, brilliant right-sided midfield player. Can play up front, score goals. And numerous amounts of assists across his career. So that's, that's the three that I'm going to pick because I can't pick one. Brilliant. Best player played against? That's tough as well. Uh, in terms of in the West of Scotland League or in the juniors, I'm going to play most of my days as a centre-forward, so I'm going to pick a centre-half and probably the toughest game I've had would have been against Mark McGoldrick in the first couple of seasons when I was at the was a really strong, aggressive centre-half. Probably of a probably of a dying breed. Brilliant. Practical one and three more questions. Biggest poser. Caldwell. Uh, 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 Cody, definitely. Uh, go with him. Worst dressed. Big Simon for that basketball cap last night. That, that is the worst. I've <laughs> ever seen somebody turn up for training. Don't worry to turn it again, but oh. I can I'll attach a I'll attach a photo for you later if you really want to attach it to the Twitter thread. Very good. Chris, would you go along with that? Oh Chris McGowan. Chris McGowan turns up in some real space. <laughs> he he thinks he's cutting the edge of fashion and I'll tell you he should be cut up the fashion. <laughs> Final question, teacher's pet. Uh, I would say folk were gonna if anybody else in the team is answering the question, they would probably say me. So, probably need to say myself. Chris, what do you think? My favourite, my favourite, we Ben Lewis, I've been with him for Aye. nine years, has never gave me a bit of back chat, has never gave me one iota of problems, comes in, trains, He's the best trainer I know, actually. I forgot to mention him in terms of training. Does does his work. Graphs away, never got a problem for him. Um, I and when, when he asked about the best player that he coached, that's who I thought he was going to say. Not because it's necessarily the best player you've ever coached, but because of his attitude and the way he acts and responds. Uh, his technical ability is really good as well. Ben's just a joy for, for any manager. He's not, uh, the thing about Ben, uh, and you can take him for granted, he's a co and boy and he's been there. He's had his testimony. I think he had a testimonial about five years ago. He's on track for a, a double testimonial as Ben, but um, you can take him for granted. But he just gets in and gets home with his business and he's a fantastic football player. He's got great technical ability. He can zing the ball, you know, mm-hmm. long passes, short passes. He's just glad they had drill at training. And it's new... Or Ben at the front because whilst he's not the most clever boy in the planet and he'll he'll be all right with that, he when it comes to playing football, he, he can he can produce no problem. Brilliant. We've opened the we've opened the floor up to fan questions as well. We've got a few in. First of all, this is from an anonymous 
person and it's for Chris. Who is Greasy Face? Greasy Face? Any idea? Um, I used to get pelters when I was younger. Um, had a greasy face. I wasn't a spotty, but I had the own greasy face, so could be me or maybe jarring me up about that. <laughs> Do you know who that's from? Uh, no, no, maybe, maybe, maybe Gorms, David Gormley. I'll tell you off here who that is because he wishes these words can I remain anonymous. <laughs> but we'll we'll touch on another one as well. This is for both of you. Do you think clubs in your league have the same feelings towards promotion to the Lowland League as the fans of their clubs? Obviously, that league is a possible stepping stone, but how attractive is it really? I'll start with. Chris, obviously, that like, do you see the Lowland League as a, a stopgap to where you really want to be? Like, how's what's your kind of thoughts on that at the moment? Um, it's a gateway to where you want to go. Um, I think what, what the, the question, the person asking the question, will be alluding to is that there's teams up there that probably what you would say are no traditionally well followed teams in terms of the supporter base that they have. Um, maybe not as as long in terms of tradition. Um, Thomas will know about that obviously we play me um, BSC and it doesn't mean to say that they don't belong there they follow the process mm-hmm. um, and, and they've got themselves to where they are that's the lie of the land that is the next step up you have to embrace it and move on what, what I will say is in the next three or four years well probably even longer than that if you, if you look at the league in the next seven to ten years it'll be predominantly I would imagine and, and I'm looking into the crystal ball here, it'll be traditional ex-junior teams that will end up making up the the, the, the brunt of that league. Um, you look at just now, um, you've got Bonerig there, um, you've got obviously Kelty that have gone on to, to league football. So I think that'll be the path that a lot is take. If you look in the East, there'll be those big teams there, you know, Bonesser in, in that league as well, they've gone through that route. So yeah. when Lith goes... And then you've got obviously your traditional big teams in the West, you know, Buffs, Meadow, Talbot, Cumnock, Glen Afton, um, Darville have got that ambition to go there. So it, I think that league will end up flooded with these teams and it will become a, how do you say it, a better spectacle of a league, probably with, with the fans and whatever else. And I think that's what the original question's about. It's There's, there's teams in there, maybe the university teams and such like, that don't have a big following. And will that diminish when you go up there there's a lot of big games at local level for us um, I, it's going to be like that for a couple of years and you just have to suck it up if you've got that ambition I want to go up and up again Thomas what's your thoughts on that question? There's a few questions within that I think the first one's about the, fa- the fans and clubs necessarily have the same view of it not necessarily sure where, who, who it was that wrote the question but um, if fans and clubs fans and clubs should have the same view on our, our ambition if they don't then the club isn't representing the fans and, and the fans need to resolve that. Um, I think uh, having experienced the Lone League, there is a kind of distinction between the top half of the league and the bottom half of the league in terms of quality. And it's probably at this moment in time not the most attractive prospect for a lot of the traditional, especially West junior teams. I think the East junior teams were um, more attracted by that prospect earlier. And it's been something that I've been kind of interested in recently. Well, Recently, the past couple of years, I, th- I think the junior teams, by all by all accounts, knocked back the Lowland League when it was first proposed. And a lot of teams and a lot of people, businessmen, took the opportunity to get a team in at Tier Five, 
and they've kind of jumped the, jumped the gun there and got in there before the bigger clubs with the bigger fallings. Um, so I think over the next 10 to 15 years, the Lone League's going to be a very strong tier five with the best East and best West junior teams and a couple of the other ones, probably such like East Kilbride, um, that weren't a traditional junior team. So I think that is a great league to get into, get in there as soon as possible, look to try to join the, the league structure above that if possible. But if not, it's going to become a it's going to become a strong league with good teams and um and in terms of finance wise, I think it's going to become a stronger, more supported, better sponsored league um, with bigger crowds as well. And it'd be great to see league games between old East junior teams, the top ones like Bonnerig and the and the, the West ex West junior teams, whoever manages to get up this season. I think that's going to be a great spectacle for fans. I see as well, obviously, the, the old form B teams are in it this season. Do you think that will continue, Thomas? No idea. I know it's a I know it's a 12-month deal that's been signed. Um I don't think there's any plans to from the old firm or uh, the only to rejoin that. I think the plans for the old firm is obviously going to be to try to get into the SPFL, whether that's through reconstruction or putting in, I don't know. But um I, I, and I think in the long the long term, without going too much into that, I think that's going to need to be accepted. It's something that's just not going to go away, and it's going to be financially backed until it's done. So, um, so I think I think that's going to happen, and I don't don't see them being in the loan that long. Chris, what's your thoughts yeah. on that? Would you, if if the bus got up to that in the next couple, up to the loan league in the next couple of years, would you welcome kind of going to Rangers and Celtic B games? Like, how would you? What's your kind of stance on that? Um, Rangers and Celtic will look after themselves. They always will. Um, they are partaking in a, what I would say is an experiment at this moment in time to see if it can develop their kids. Um, my take on it is, you'll know, Thomas, Thomas spoke about this earlier on. As an 18-year-old boy, he went in the dressing room where there was big hairy-ass men who, if you step out of line, they would have brought you into line. When you're playing with your peers, you're you're not developing um, mental aspects. You're not developing physically either. The best thing for the boys that play with Celtic Rangers is to get loaned out individually and see whether they sink or swim within, whether that be if they're good enough to play for SPFL lower clubs or whether they go to junior league clubs or I keep calling it juniors just because of tradition and habit, but um, west of Scotland, east of Scotland. If you think when clubs qualified time and time again and where, how players came through, they came through two ways. One, they were farmed out when they were 16, 17 to see how they would go on and progress. Could they hack it, play with men? Then they get brought into reserve football, which was another step up for them, playing against pros who had, you know, that wee wily bit of experience and, and, and top players at times. Um, and, and the games, in my opinion, has lost its development of the kids because there's a snobbery. And that snobbery is they don't want we... Johnny, who's on £1,500 a week at one of the old firm clubs, playing with um, Thomas, who's on 50 quid a week at Cowinnan. And they think that their, their learning experience is better with them as coaches than it is playing with these guys. It's no, you learn so many good habits, winning habits. Um, it, okay, and I understand that there will be expectations that they win games at, the, at those levels. But if they go to if one of them get farmed out to Oak and Lake, they're not playing well in a Oak and Lake come up game. They'll know about it for the fans. They'll know about it. And that, that's a mindset 
see the minute you're flung into football at this moment in time for kids is a competition to get further and they're competing against their peers they're not competing to win games so the mentality has gone from a team sport to an individual sport see when you deal with them when they've come out of the, the back end of that they've got a selfish nature about themselves and they don't understand the team ethic very very quickly not all of them and that's not fair to, to, to you know stereotype everybody in that manner but um the, the learning experience is about how they develop, how I develop. See, the minute you want a team environment where you need to win and there's guys that are going to win bonuses or whatever else that mean that they'll get an extra bit of shopping in their um, fridge at the end of the week, it means something. And, and we've got we've got so far away from that. And, and I think that the guys in at the top level have obviously looked at how they develop the kids. I don't think they've got it right. I don't think they've got it right at all. And I, and I think there's a, a place for traditional... Um, men's football at lower league levels to develop the kids and, and, and I'm quite passionate about that and it's something that they might look at again but um, somebody at 17 rocking up in a Porsche or whatever it was because they, they, they play boys club football it just doesn't sit right with me and that's that's maybe just me as a traditionalist Yeah I'd agree with you as well you've, you've nailed that there Final question can Scotland qualify for the World Cup Thomas, does last night's result put them in a good position? Absolutely. Uh, quite passionate about this. I'm a Kelly fan, so I'm firmly in the Steve Clark camp. Don't necessarily agree with all his decisions or all the approaches to games, but um, Kelly were doing well. We weren't going scudding teams four, five, six. Now every week we were grinding out results. We had a clear um, base and foundation, solid foundation at the back, where we didn't concede many goals, which we can see in the Scotland team. And um, with some sort of freedom and, and tactics and, and try to get up the park with, um, with strong, powerful fullbacks. And I can see a resemblance from the Kelly team to the Scotland team. Maybe it's no for everybody, but I think that was a great result last night. And that puts us second in the group and it's completely in our hands now. We need to go and win um, the Israel, Moldova and Faroes games. And then uh, take or leave the Denmark game if you win those nine points and I, and I think then you've got a great chance to go and qualify through the playoffs so hopefully we're able to do that but be typical Scotland to qualify for a World Cup when it's in the winter in Qatar <laughs> Dash, what was your thoughts on last night? Was that a good result to get into a really good position? Yeah, uh, the one thing I'd say about Stevie Clark is he's pragmatic he doesn't get too up doesn't get too down um, he's got a game plan that he wants to stick to the thing, if you if Scotland get their best players on the park, they've got some real, real top quality. Um, you've got Premiership players. You've got, you know, we've like almost been outstanding. You know, his, his ability, he's he's just a step ahead of the game. But you had Scott McTominay into that squad last night. The boy Nathan Patterson. Um, I think still, if if we've got an Achilles heel, we've now got somebody that can just nick goals. away. Kenny Miller probably did back in the, the day for him, and before that maybe. Um, McFadden, McOyston, Stephen Smith. We've probably not got a talisman um, that we can rely on for goals in the big games. But I like Jay Adams. I like the physicality that the big dykes provide you with. Sometimes he's a bit hit and a miss. But um, I still think that if Scotland get their best team in the park, they are, I would say, a team that can be reckoned with. And I think they're growing. I think you can see that the, the squad's growing in belief. Um, McGregor, Tierney, 
um, Robertson, all very, very, very good players added to McGinn and things like that. They've got good combinations. I think the middle of the park's very strong. So they can keep all their players fat and they get their best team in the park. I've absolutely no reason to think that they can make the, the World Cup and that would be great on the back of the Euros. Yeah, definitely. Here's hoping. We are going to wrap up the show there. I want to thank Chris and Thomas for being our special guests. It's been an absolute pleasure to be on. Thank you very much, Scott. I've enjoyed it. Brilliant. Thanks very much to everyone who tuned in. We will be back next week with a new episode and tune into our social media channels for full West of Scotland coverage and follow us on YouTube. Thanks very much, everyone. We'll see you soon. Cheers.